serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. And this is why immortality sucks. <laughs> Joining me today is a dude named Ben. Oh shit, his name isn't Ben. God damn it. I, I kept trying to get you to change your name, but you wouldn't quite do it. So what is your preferred name these days? You can call me a dude named Cock. A dude named Cock. Well, that's about it. As good as a Ben, I suppose. That's British for Ben, right? It's British for the King of Kent. Ah, okay. All right. Yes, I am Gwiff the Cock on, uh, well, Gwiff on uh, Gender Social, GWFF, and just, yeah, Gwiff the Cock if you want to extend it out. See, I always thought thing. you were playing a dog character with that Gwiff thing. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah. So what what is the Gwiff thing? Explain that before we get going too deep. It's very simple. So when I first saw Adam Curry, Mm-hmm. And I, I saw his, he signed off his emails with AC. I thought, well, there's a neat way of just tightening up someone's name. And, and I've had this awfully long name all my life, all these four, seven-letter names, Gregory William Forsyth Foreman, which is a right mouthful, even for a British person to say. Is there a dash in there? You, you should have yeah, a dash hi- hyphenated. Yeah, yeah, hyphenated yeah. at the end there. Yeah. Mum and dad uh. didn't get married before they had me, so... Uh-huh. Technically, that makes me a bastard, which but, I've str- I've struggled with for a long time. But I thought all the uh, like all the really rich British people all had hyphenated names. It does make me sound a lot posher than I actually mm. am. I will give you that. Mm-hmm. Well, when you add the cock in there, I mean that's like next level posh. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, Very, well, King of Kent. I mean, that's self-appointed, so it's not mm. like it's a title that has been bestowed upon me. Not yet, anyway. Right. Well, got to have I, dreams, I, ain't you? You've got to have ambitions. Destiny is a calling for all of us, isn't it? And and why can't? That's where I'm from. And what happened was, is I was born in a part of Kent, northwest Kent, that was stolen by the the, the great city of London in 1964, mm-hmm. and it is now the London borough of. And I and I everyone who lives here who's old enough to remember that it was Kent at some point still calls it Kent. And I'm just, um, I'm, a, I'm a bit annoyed about that. I'm a bit miffed. So, Do they call uh, it Old Kent or just Kent? No, there's no ye old in there. Mm. No. Uh, so ba- I've got, I run pubs. I've got pubs, micro pubs. And I had a customer who had a daughter in a hospital, in the same hospital I was born in, in 1963. And on her birth certificate, it says that she was born in Kent. And then a year later, he had a son who was born in the same bed in the same hospital. And his birth certificate says London. Hmm. That, that's not cool, man. Come on now. I, imagine if you were in Tejas, and then what's the one north of Tejas? I don't know. The the state. O- Oklahoma? Yeah, if they just turned up and went, oh, we're having a bit of that bit. You know, well, I mean, you- there were certainly Mexicans that were born here that a few years after the uh, Texas uh, independence, people born here became born in Texas instead of Mexico. Well, I mean, that done them a favor in the long run, though, didn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, they all end up here eventually anyway. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? How you get like mass migration to the USA and you also get it to the UK at the same time. Different places, though, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been uh, enamored with the fact that you guys have Canada. And to me, Canada, for you, feels very much like Scotland is to us. Oh, I think you're right. uh, Yeah. Even even having Nova Scotia up in Canada, just to remind us, oh, yeah, it really is New Scotland. (laughs) Yeah. It is, isn't it? Isn't it? But they're still, it's a bit Frenchy as well, isn't it? So, 
is always that. Yeah, well, Quebec certainly tries to be, yes. Yeah, I've, um, I've got a, a URL that's registered in PM, which is the Saint-Pierre and I can't remember the last one. It's a mm. tiny little island in northwest Scandinavia. It's its own place. It's its own thing. I'm reliably informed it's where a lot of old school booze was run into to get into America from Europe. And yeah, As a, yeah you ever seen I the, think that's the show? correct. Ever seen the show Peaky Blinders? I have not, no. Okay, well, don't. It's not not worth not worth your time, I have to mm. say, but just in case you had. But here's us about Birmingham, gangsters from Birmingham and, and one of them as a, as a thing with the Americans that goes through there. But yeah, the world is a, is a very varied place, isn't it now? Let's face it. I guess, sure. Yeah, you could say that. Everyone's um, trying so to now, tell everyone else what to do, aren't they? That's are the your problem. are your pubs in Kent or in yeah, other yeah. places? Well, they're technically they're in that London borough of Bromley. But if it was, I always say to people, it depends whether you're trying to buy a house or sell a house. Because if mm. you're trying to sell a house, then you you say it's in Kent, and if you're buying a house, you say that house is in London. I'm not paying that much for it. So was was all of Bromley part of Kent? Yeah, yeah, it all was. That's they, a big they, chunk. They did the. They built a a ring road, the M25, and then huh. they just said everything inside this road of hate, this this sort of ritualistic, right. yeah, miles and miles of tarmac that would form this ring of hate around the the capital. Yeah, so I, I bet the people living in Bromley have just been getting pummeled by the Londoners. I mean, a lo- a lot of people that live around here migrated yeah. out from South East London, Bermondsey. Lambeth, places south of the river, when they saw it was going a bit south in the in the late sixties and early seventies and eighties, you had a hell of a but, lot. But of it's people a whole different culture there. up there. Yeah, they. I mean, they bring a lot. I of mean, it it's with the them. same language, but kind of, sort of. Yeah, but they all speak a bit like that, don't they? Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't imagine that for the for the people in uh, southeastern, newly called London, really they're people from Kent with Kent traditions and the Kent language that they probably have been struggling and maybe asking Kent for some help to help bring them back into the fold of the motherland. I think this is why your your big dude, the divine inspiration of the universe, has given me the impetus to take on the moniker cock and and, and run with it, really. That's, That's all I can kind of deem from the situation. I don't see anyone else trying it, let's put it that way. And also... You can call it Kexit, can't you? Which sounds really cool. Kexit? <laughs> yeah, getting Kent out of Britain. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's brilliant, actually. That's, it's that's a workable a scenario, because if you think about it, we yeah. can then have our deal with those pesky Europeans that right. kind of undoes the Brexit nonsense, and then we can have our deal with the pesky British. Well, Kent does have a road going directly to France. A tunnel. Well, but it's the road inside the tunnel, right? Yeah, the Channel Tunnel, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not on a bridge, but it is. So certainly there is something to be said for that. Yeah, I've been on that channel tunnel. Have ter- you? Yeah, a couple of times. The channel. The channel. <laughs> never called it never, that. Never gone in there. No, claustrophobic. Oh, yeah. I quite well, like I, small spaces. I'm, I do dig you? Them. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I was mm-hmm. ever buried alive, I think I'd be all right. You'd appreciate being in a coffin. A bit of peace and quiet. Which, yeah, you don't have that with London, then you're breathing down your neck right now. Two kids and two pubs. It's never going to happen, is it? Let's face it. Uh, which do you prefer? The kids. Well, it's a toss-up, but the kids. <laughs> Less noise on the kids? Bit of both. 
got to have both in your uh-huh. life, and yeah, I'm a social guy. I've always have been. Love to chat. Right. Always have done. Well, um, it's probably a good idea then to if you have pubs to be a social guy. Oh yeah, you've got to. It's, it's one yeah. of those things. It's like if you're going to be a nurse, then you should have you should have so, this need to care for people. And if you want to be a interesting, interesting yeah. thing about you is you're somewhat unique in the no gender audience because you don't work in IT. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think there's three of you, so you're not quite unique, but close to unique. <laughs> so so how the hell did you end up listening to No Agenda and Adam Curry if you don't work in IT? Well, I uh, so I was an actor for 20 years or so, from a kid yeah. up to about 26. And then when my missus got pregnant with our first, I decided to stop acting and mm. do something else. I thought at the time my dream was to be to form my own electrician's business. So I was an mm-hmm. electrician's apprentice quite late on in life. I wanted to do this a business that that sort of that was that sort of safe proofed homes against Wi-Fi signals and 5G before 5G mm. was a thing. I thought that it, that'd be a really good idea to use organ and electrolyzed crystals and just mm-hmm. clean the energies in houses and stuff. I, I know quite a lot of. Uh, celebrities and and people that pay a lot of money for massive crystals that have attached to some sort of power source oh yes they're a great a great demographic for selling crystals too oh yeah especially the reality stars Mm. yeah i know a guy that paid thirty-eight thousand pounds for a for a big old piece of quartz that had a a light in it effectively nice yeah well you know somebody's gonna make a living selling those things to yeah, people so, that pretend so to the, be others. So I had my hand down a wall trying to find a, a cable that someone else was poking up from the floor below, and mm-hmm. I was listening to a show that I'd listened to for years and years at a time called Canary Cry, which is on the No Agenda stream mm. three times a week. And they mentioned No Agenda, and I, then after the show finished, I kind of thought, oh, I've not really got anything else to listen to because I could have one ear into a, into a podcast whilst I was working. And uh, I put No Agenda on, and it was something, I think it was early, oh, I want to say early 20, maybe mid-2015, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were talking about Trump, so I'm guessing he was running, and and I just sort of thought, wow, what is this? This is definitely different. Yeah, well, now it makes sense, though. So if you were pulling cables, it almost, I guess there's some confusion in the universe that thought you were actually an IT guy. Oh yeah, I never considered and, that. And consequently, this this notion of listening to no agenda just popped in your head because it's it's very rare for somebody that isn't doing IT yeah. type work to to get that idea popping in their head. That's that's quite interesting. So now you said you acted for a while. Did you act in anything good like Doctor Who? I was I was acting in the studio where they filmed Doctor Who. How's that? Okay. I went to a Doctor Who Christmas party by mistake once. Well, that's pretty good. That's an exciting story. Yeah, so I was, in a, I was in a, a bar in Cardiff, and they had a games room up up above near the, next to the toilets. Ah. And the, in the games room, they used to play board games in there and stuff. Huh. And, but there was this one time, there was a, a private party going on in there, and on the door, there was a sign saying, BBC employees only. And at that point, I was filming a show that was a BBC show, so I thought, well, that's me. And I walked in that there. That works, yeah. And someone said, who are you? And I said, I'm the a doctor. BBC employee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't bring my stethoscope. So, And then I kind of hung out in there for for an evening. That was that was all right. There were, I didn't notice any. I'm not a Doctor Who fan. Oh. So, I mean, oh, I was I, I, the old ones, but the, the newest stuff. Really. Okay. 
puts right. me off, so I don't I don't really watch it. So, but do you like the old ones? Who do you, who do yeah. you like from the old ones? Anything that was on VHS, I sort of I liked as soon as they stopped doing VHS. VHS, a, yeah, a videotape, right? Right, right. I had a little you... box set when I was growing up, and there was it was the it, I remember it because it was the first Doctor Who when the Daleks went up the stairs, and it was mm. a big it was a big thing at that time because everyone they was, couldn't go upstairs previously. No, <laughs> everyone thought, well, it's not they're not very useful, are they? If we can no. just defeat these guys with a basement, yeah. Um, that's true. They could not get into basements. But then I think in the, in the show, someone runs into the basement or something. Mm-hmm. And then the moment happened when the Dalek descended the stairs. And it was a mm-hmm. big sort of like, <gasps> oh, my they word. They stairs. Yeah, they hovered. They hovered above the yeah. stairs as they went yeah. down. And I liked the budget, it then. The budget finally got beyond $100 an episode, I guess. Yeah, budget's huge for Doctor Who. It's the second, yeah. second biggest budget on the BBC, I think. It's hard to tell. Yeah, very much so. They spend it all on the uh, on the talent, I'm sure. Yeah. So the lack what, of. Or the lack of it, yeah. So who, which of the old actors did you like the most? Then? Oh, I couldn't tell you. Uh, the one with the scarf. The one, that, the Tom Baker? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. That's, that's the one, okay. Yeah, I thought he was good. I was more just into the theme tune than anything else, ah, to be fair. You as like a the synthesizer music? Oh, yeah, I love a bit of music. I do. Yeah do a lot of music myself and synth has mm-hmm. always been uh, my my personal chosen genre would be indie christian fringe pop so yeah there's a lot of synth in indie christian fringe pop is there and okay i'm the only one that's doing it as far as i'm aware huh. but uh, that's how i roll i'm the only one that does a lot of the stuff that i do got it now and did you act in anything other than doctor who since you didn't act in doctor who that people well, heard? yeah yeah i was in like all of the usual stuff that you do as an actor uh, the bill doctors all the british sort of things biggest hot i was in a hollywood movie called all london boulevard which Kira Knightley and colin farrell in it didn't have a speaking part but i did spoiler alert stab up the main character at the end of it so there was that and then i was in a show called casualty for about nine years which is a big sort of tv drama over here the, the one I was on the, the most was a, a sort of continuing drama set in a hospital called Casualty. I played the son of the main character in that. It was a crackhead. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I did that for about nine years on and off, but more off than on. Okay. So you play the crackhead. Any any other interesting roles? I was in Harry Potter 3, but not really as a role. It was just one of the featured kids in it. That's probably... The third one, what was that one called? It's the best one. That, what was it called, though? The Prisoner of Azkaban. Okay. It had uh, um, Gary Oldman in it, and it was directed by Alfonso Curran, I think. The mm. guy that did Children of Men. You ever seen that? What a movie that is. Nope. Oh, it's a great film. Yeah. About the end of the world. About, uh, it's a, based on a short novel where humanity stops has, having babies, and it's set like 19 years after the last baby's born. And this, mm. this guy finds a, a young pregnant woman, and he has to get I her to I some scientists. I think ad for that. And then the whole thing is about just trying to keep her safe or something, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's quite a simple mm-hmm. narrative. It's very, very well done. Loved it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So what led you to want to give up acting and portraying such awesome characters? Well, I mean, my bread and butter was doing language tapes. So I would go into a studio and do stuff like, the boy has a red bicycle. What color is the boy's bicycle? And then do the oh, like training other people to speak proper English. Yeah, so that it would get sent out to young schools in normally Eastern Europe and stuff like that. Hmm. 
So that made more money than acting. It was it was it was easier to just a constant work and, and guarantee the, uh, you'd get a good couple of days a, a month of it, and it would be enough to pay the rent and give okay. me some drinking money. Did you did you ever sell your voice to the BBC or anyone else? No, no, I didn't do anything like that. Lots. I mean, I did there quite... are a lot of voices available now. Computer, yes, computer generated out of real human voices. Yeah, yeah, I missed that gravy train. Unfortunately, we, we can all have our own Siri. Well, that, I mean, it's a gravy train for the companies. The actors got paid regular wage, but the yeah. voices are then resold for millions. They get stiffed, don't they? Poor actors with their silly contracts. Well, yeah, you gotta gotta make I, sure you have a good contract, right? I just sort of thought having being a parent and and just sort of relying on this sporadic work wasn't good enough. I was already mm-hmm. working and living above a pub at the time, and we were leaving that pub as a family, and we decided to start up our own place. And I sort of thought I'd do something else and let the pub help help like handle itself. And then after about eight nine months, I realised that there was too much work going on in the other pub, so I had to quit the the electrician stuff and go and work full-time in in the pubs and since then we're doing that and then i think i had a little break where i, I sort of tra- i traded cryptocurrencies for about 18 months full-time okay and uh, is that caught... fun do you it, enjoy that it was, it was the best sort of five months i've ever like i've ever had money wise uh-huh. and then it was the easily the worst in months that i've ever had <laughs> okay got it yeah, it was it was a, a very valuable lesson to it learn. It is interesting to do things like that. I did poker for a year. So for okay. for one year I didn't do any other work. I just played cards. Yeah. And uh, the thing that I quickly learned probably within about 2 or 3 months was that the thing that you really enjoy doing that makes you think, "Geez, I should do this for a living." stops being fun. Yeah, And so I was literally going to work to the casino to go play poker so I can beat enough hands to leave there with enough money for the day. And hopefully that happens sooner than later because I'd fall on some idiots that would bet big. Mm. And then I wouldn't have to play poker nearly as many hours in order to get the, the amount of money that I need to get per day. And that completely ruined poker for several years for me until after stopping doing it professionally, I just started once again, just occasionally playing it for yeah, fun. Yeah, playing for fun. Well, there's an advert over here for gambling adverts and, it, and they have a little tagline, the government that they make them put on it. And it says, when the fun stops, stop, which I think is a good little lesson to learn. I did. I was listening to your last episode and you were talking about streaming games and, and making a living out of that. Yeah. Do you not do you not feel like that would be a, a similar kind of thing where you would get to a point where Absolutely games... it would be. Absolutely. I've been re- interviewed enough people that have done it professionally and uh, even if I haven't interviewed them, heard enough interviews with people doing it professionally to know that that's absolutely the case. And here's the sad part is you can tell when you watch these giant streamers playing video games what they're doing while they're in the video game is processing what can I do next to increase my views to generate more revenue? Yeah. They're, they're not playing a video game from the same standpoint as the viewers that they're getting are playing them. The average person who is playing the video game to blow off some steam, to not think about the shitty reality that's happening in the world right now, just to kind of go off into a fantasy world and do something that they can't do in yeah. general. Escapism, like yeah, it's total escapism. When you're doing that as a streamer who is earning their livelihood on this, 
There's no escape. It has very different, like I was watching one streamer earlier today, talking to other streamers, and that's when the conversation always ends up turning to business of streaming and not Mm. the fun of streaming, and saying, yeah, YouTube's been promoting these shorts to compete with TikTok, and I think people are idiots not to do them. I started doing shorts. I hate doing them. Uh, They're horrible. But when I do them, I get like 30,000 new subscribers a month. When I don't do them, I get 6,000 new subscribers a month. So doing the shorts greatly increases the amount of new subscribers I get. And in the end, that's the game. It's all about just getting more subscribers. The numbers, getting those numbers It's a numbers game because you know that somewhere between a tenth of a percent and one percent of those subscribers will in one manner or another give you money. And then, of course, the more subscribers you have, the more opportunity for the advertising revenue coming in from YouTube. But that revenue has greatly, greatly diminished over the last three years. Three years ago, somebody that had half a million subscribers doing video games was generating over $100,000 in revenue. Um, And depending on just how often they broadcast and a few other criteria, it was anywhere between one and 250,000. And a million subscribers, there was almost no chance they were doing less than $200,000 in revenue to themselves. Do you you think that that was sort of Alex Jones's fault? No, I don't think it was Alex Jones's fault, but there something that clearly got exposed quite a bit with Alex Jones is just how many bots there were and how many fake accounts. And, and really what it was, was the advertisers didn't know what questions to ask to make sure they're getting a good value on their advertising dollars. And so when somebody uh, bought uh, ads, they were just in a generic category with no control and no contractual direction on where that ad spend would happen. And that allowed YouTube to count a lot of things that probably didn't <laughs> result in new sales for the advertisers no. as being a legitimate advertising spend. Pesky YouTube, pesky Google. Don't be yeah, evil now. Yeah. Come on, don't be evil. Don't be evil, all right. Good luck on that. Yeah, I took that well down a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Oh, I'd love to have that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Could you imagine owning that piece? But Bezos has got it. The don't be evil signed? Yeah, someone's got to have that, haven't they? Well, I mean, there were plenty of them. That was the company tagline for the first seven or eight years, don't be evil. I thought it was just literally as you walked into the office and there was a big sign, but obviously there was. Right, they have multiple offices. Oh, my word. And the reason that that was a sign is because that was the company tagline until they got rid of it. (laughs) What's the worst tagline in history? Well, it's it's really kind of a... It's a dangerous tagline because (laughs) it sounds hilarious when you do it. It's like, ha ha, what we're doing has nothing to do with anything political. We're we're just providing the world with email. And and then I think if a company grows enough, it's almost impossible for them to not be perceived as evil in some Uh, way or or fashion. If you've got to remind your employees to not be evil constantly, (laughs) it's something terrible. They should have that in the Houses of Parliament. That'd be useful. Don't be evil. Yeah, yeah that might, might get the public a little clued up. Well, I think it, the problem is evil is so subjective. Yeah, it's good and bad in everyone, isn't there? It's it's hard to try and nail down exactly what it is. And, yeah, and I think in the UK, you guys have just as much issues with your politicians there as we do here. Seem to have a little more freedom of them yelling at each other in, in Parliament that we can watch on TV. Yeah, you guys all sort of you sort of try and pretend like you got a stick up your ass, and it's just mm-hmm. it doesn't, it don't really work. 
Whereas we're we're more like just in a in a school playground shouting at each other. And I think if you had if you give them buckets of mud, there would be a point where they would start fl- flinging that mud around. Oh, absolutely! I think they would. Yeah, be interesting. Uh, be good TV. Well, it would be, and somebody could turn it into a reality TV series and make some money. Well, at the moment, there's a show called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, which has been running for about 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And they take sort of 10, 11 celebrities, quote unquote, and they sling them in the Australian jungle and they make them do trials for their food. Mm-hmm. And we've had a guy called Matt Hancock, who's an MP, who's gone into it. And he's the first sort of major working MP to go in it. And he was the health okay. minister during COVID. Yeah. So the public gets to vote for which one of these douchebags has to do all the trials where they have to eat crocodile penis and the vagina of a cow and stuff that um, sounds like a super easy show oh yeah it's it's great from a sort of sociological standpoint you know that's how joe rogan got a start oh really i thought he was a stand-up well he was a stand-up that he was an okay stand-up he was certainly not a famous stand-up but his big break came when he became the tv host or presenter for you guys of a show called what was it called? Oh, wasn't he uh, a, a History Channel thing or something? Wasn't it? No, no, no. It was, I think it was an NBC, I believe. Five but Channel, it, maybe. It was here. a. I think it was one of the main networks. But it was a show, and the name will come to me eventually here. But it was a show where essentially people have to compete in in challenges of things that they would either be grossed out by or would be perceived as dangerous like for example eating pastry with bugs in them Mm. considered normal these days considered yeah (laughs) considered well people didn't realize back then that that was a delicacy but these these days things are i think would be a little different but that got him on television and be seen by a lot of people and definitely helped his comedy career in a lot of ways and i think he brought him into the 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 Hollywood sort of mainstream that allowed him to make a lot more connections. So yeah, I really uh, don't think without that show. Yeah, it was definitely exposure. I don't think without that show, Rogan would have been anything more than a guy that some people that really enjoy comedy would have seen that enjoy standup. He would have been known in, in New York and LA, but probably not in many other places. I mean, nowadays his show, that's a different beast though, isn't it? That's something that he's grown through perseverance and concentration and just the and, and the being, talk show yeah the, the the that's the most popular talk show on the planet at the moment isn't it i guess i don't know it's hard to say because i don't really trust the stats coming in from the guys that own that show that's a good point so whether it's it is it is i i, I think honestly most of the things that are listed as the most watched and popular are only listed because they they happen in the u.s and realistically if you start looking at how many people watch chinese or india television it is millions and millions more than watch u.s television oh yeah of course well i guess in the western civilization then the... yeah the only one we care about right yeah so our one it's, it's, not so the other guys doesn't really matter fear factor by the way was the show that fear factor yes i have heard from, that. he was yes. there for 12 years that was so normal for, people though wasn't it it went correct yeah. yes it was well did know, they do a celebrity fear it was factor? a reality show they may have i don't recall i was not a, an avid watcher of that i would occasionally watch it but it always struck me as the things that they present as these big challenges to people that really 
they didn't really seem like much of a challenge to me. They were just sort of like See, unusual. I, They're things that are unusual, not things that are actually challenging. I, I'd say. I've got, I've, I know a lot of people that work on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. My, my wife used to work at ITV, which is the, the network mm-hmm. that runs the show and stuff. And I won't say that any of these people are explicitly aware of this. It's a bit similar to how the, the news models do their thing. But I think these challenges, they're more like rituals. They're more sort of, they lock a, lock a celebrity in a box and they pour crickets and scorpions in there. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a boo box. I mean, that's been around for a while. It, these are things. And, and, and then there's a lot of symbology and just all sorts of stuff that goes on with it that you kind of can't overlook. A lot of snakes. There's always snakes involved yeah. somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't understand the irrational fear of snakes that people have to begin with, but it's probably got something to do with the serpent that tricked Eve into eating that fig, right? That made her all smart all of a sudden. Well, I don't think it really does because it's not confined to just people from the Western world. Just a lot of people seem to have a an irrational predisposition to having a fear of snakes. Well, they may be. You know, they had their dragons over in China. They couldn't. Have, they weren't all good, were they? The dragons. They must have been because there's always a bad guy in everyone's mytho- mythos and legends, isn't there? Well, you got to have a bad guy. Well, otherwise, who's going to be? You got the Quisa, good guy who's going to fight? Quisacote in there, and then the Central America and North South America, and then you Umarica. I mean, Amer- yeah. America itself is is named after a snake god, Umarica. Right. That's that was the. That's the, the, the et- it's etim- named after Amerigo Vespucci. Hmm. Is that? that? Yeah. All right. You'll have to school me on this it's, one. It's it's an Italian guy. Yeah? Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> bit of a coincidence then. The old America guy was a thing. I don't know. I've seen a lot of weird ass stuff on the internet, so my brain's all a bit. Oh uh, yeah, now, yeah. So good, nice. good bit of advice. Don't believe things you see on the internet. I don't believe enough of it, but you can still see it. It's like I, I always, I'm, oh, a, yeah. I'm, a, I'm yeah, an on the fencer. I don't get off the fence. I think the fence is the best place to be. Are you like sitting up there on the fence. With you the get cats? perspective with the other sides of the fence. You mm. can see once you jump down on one side of a fence, you've lost perspective of the other side. So I quite like it up there. No, that's true. That is um, good. That's a all good stuff. Like, but, uh, I mean, one of the ones that's the most divisive would be the flat Earth stuff, the shape of the planet, all that stuff oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. I, I, I'm quite happy up on the fence with that one. Like until oh, I yeah? get shown it myself. Mm. I mean, I can see Never merits traveled, in both ways. I've traveled a little bit. Yeah, have a you? little bit. Yeah. Not massive amount. Outside but, um, of the UK? Yeah, yeah. I've been to America a few times, been to been? Mexico, been to obviously done Europe loads and mm. that's about that's about it to be fair. I, I I can't envision somebody thinking the earth is flat once they've flown over it. Well the thing is, I think if the earth if well, look, let's say that the earth isn't flat, well then the numbers that we're being given are a crock of shit. Because you have lasers that can paint a target from well beyond the curvature of the earth that we're told about this was it quarter of an uh, eighth of an inch per i don't know mile i've it's been a long time since i looked into the old flat earth bollocks Mm -hmm. let's face it but just just there's weird stuff on either side and you have to admit that no one's ever getting the hundred percent of the truth out of anything it i don't think personally it's if i was had to lean across the fence in any direction i'd say that big rock flying through space kind of makes sense with the telescopes and stuff but then having been a kid that grew up i was i was 14 when 9 11 happened then i was mm-hmm. told everything was it was all one thing that is going to make you at a questionable time in someone's life question everything for the rest of your life 
it's not my fault that I've I've, I've got skepticism in, ingrained within well, me. Well, I think skepticism is very good. And uh, I certainly wouldn't fault somebody that lives in a tribal village and the Pakistan mountains thinking that the earth is flat. No. That, that yeah. seems like a reasonable supposition from someone whose furthest distance traveled is probably less than 20 kilometers. Okay. But it's hard to see somebody that has done world travel still maintaining that opinion. Is that because you're up in a plane and you can, you're can you higher up? Yes. So you can and, literally see the curvature from a but plane. But then they say, don't they, that the, all the windows are bloody round. Well, they can say whatever they want. I mean... It, they are. I mean, you look at a round, through a round lens, it, it makes it rounds things out. If you had a square window well, on a plane, the, there is I might be more inclined. There is this plane <laughs> that used to be a lot more visible and, and maybe for people that are a little older than the 9-11, we got to see it a lot more often. Planes uh. used to fly with the uh, door open ah, to the yeah. front cabin. <laughs> yeah. And as somebody who generally flies in the first or second row, I've, I've watched that view through yes. the, the, the widescreen pilots see, <laughs> yeah. yes, so many times that it's not yeah. even interesting anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, there. there I went up no in that cabin once or twice. Here. I saw that. <laughs> oh, you did? There you go. Yeah. Very yeah, young, perfect. mind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, well, they've they've kind of stopped doing that these days, which yeah, is very and sad lame. because I think it it's contributing to the lack of pilots because I think oh, a totally. lot of kids got that got that type of exposure of yeah. being able to visit the cockpit. They that planted a seed in their little brains. For yeah, they were they enamored by it. Up. Whoever Absolutely. came up with that idea was a genius, was a, rec- yep. was a HR genius back in well, the day. It, I don't know if anybody was doing it beforehand, but I know that Pan Am always did that. Whenever there were kids on the yep. flight, Pan Am always did a little visit to the cockpit for them. And if, if anyone's going to hijack a plane, the kid is least likely to do it. Right. That's true. I mean, there's always a chance. You but could have some badass probably, kid, but yeah, probably least likely. <laughs> so there's, I've got to say, there's a there's an announcement being made by a big orange Nazi. What do you reckon? What's he, what's he going to do? Which announcement? The, he's, there's this thing, right? The the Trump thing. He's going to announce. He's he's, he's oh, held I, this I'm, cloud of announcement. Of yeah, is there an announcement been, today? No, really? he's just been saying oh. it for ages, isn't he? I'm oh. going to do something big soon. Well, I think, yeah. What do you mean, reckon? He's just going to run? But if he's going to run, who's well, he going to run for? he's obviously going to run because he got pissed off when when the governor of Florida, when DeSantis said, or re- didn't say that he's not running. Like when DeSantis was asked if he was going to run, he did the usual political thing. It was like, well, I'm, 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 I'm weighing up enjoying my options. what I'm doing right now, but I'm leaving all options open. Yeah, and then Trump got pissed off that well, wait a minute, DeSantis is supposed to recuse himself and not run because he knows I'm running. Uh, like fuck you, dude. I don't. Maybe I, I gotta, maybe uh, DeSantis has just got a holiday album coming out of covers like Christmas covers. Huh? DeSantis. I don't knows? know that he's a particularly good singer, but I guess you never can tell. Until you must be looking happens. forward to the No Agenda end of show mixes at Christmas time, where you know DeSantis Claus is coming to town. Those are, there's some good ones. There's a lot of talent in the No Agenda producer network. Oh, yeah. It's the, it's the most, it's the most gifted people, nation on the yeah. planet. And I, I really wonder how many of them have, have utilized those talents previously and how many of them are just sort of been closet musicians, not yeah. really doing it outside of their own home to anybody and, and then create something for No Agenda to be played to literally millions of listeners. Yes, I I did. I've done my fair share of end of show mixes, about seven or eight of them, and okay. yeah, 
I've enjoyed every single one of them. I thought they were so much fun to do. And it's such a shame <laughs> that the long versions don't get played for whatever. <laughs> Not yeah, got a that's to true. They, they do need to constrain the length a little bit. Uh, well, uh, does, does get long. I, I mean, you've got, I've told this to Tom Starkweather. I think that Melodious Owls should just pivot and become the No Agenda End of Show Mix podcast. And uh, he should mm. he should have long and do like a sort of top of the pod pops, but with I don't yeah, know if that's that not a bad idea. It's a good point as long as it's not adding more work to Adam. Well, yeah, but it's the same uh, thing as a shop, isn't it? It just sort of decentralizes it. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if somebody is a custodian of all those submissions and then plays the full versions and then makes a show out of it, that would be brilliant. Well, I've got quite a decent relationship with Sir Chris Wilson, who I'm desperate to marry my my daughter. I'm, I've wanted her to marry his son. If I could, no agenda arrange marriages, anyone. Oh, well, I don't I'd, see I'd why not. I mean, we have titles. Exactly. We're, we're almost the, there, aren't we? <laughs> it's it's just a hop, skip and a jump. It's not that uh, far, from is it? Just having titles to having arranged marriages to increase your holdings. We, we've often spoke about forming the Gitmo Nation players and uh-huh. having just a full, uh, the full deal. And I, that's what I'm working on at the moment. I mean, my, my dream is to provide no, John and Adam their exit strategy on a plate. Mm. Uh, that's just what I, what I think. Well, they're looking like. for one, so you better hurry up. They've got it. They've, it's already there. It doesn't need to be. We'd, we're going to do a production company and mm. start making some some pretty tasty productions. There's, like you said, there's enough talent in the in the Gitmo Nation to fill yeah. every every void remotely these days. So yeah, especially IT to a to a level a standard that is of a high quality. This is the the, the difference. The writing, the mm-hmm. everything about it can be put together, which can rival the biggest and. Uh, most expensive productions on the planet i mean did you see the rings of power no <laughs> it was it was like i got 10 minutes in <laughs> that's all i can mm. manage it was mm. ter- 1.8 billion dollars like if they that's all they can come up with that with that i tell you i'll do anything for it on a shoestring <laughs> yeah i i think and i'm not sure when this is going to happen i don't have the exact date but i will make a prediction that the the end to all of the woke Hollywood stuff is going to come from a direction that most people are completely unaware of and couldn't imagine being the case. Yeah. And that is a very simple replacement, a complete replacement of actors by computer generated models. Could happen. Because yeah. the, the idea of actors being famous is absurd. Stars, best, isn't it? It's, they're always called stars. Yeah, well, they call themselves stars. I don't think in, no, no, intelligent people around people them call, call them, them stars. Like I said, I don't think intelligent people call them stars. It's the sycophants uh, that call it's, them it's stars. It's the same people that call politicians leaders. They're not fucking <laughs> leaders. Yeah, elected best, representatives. followers, but they're really public servants is what you ought to call them. Well, Anytime you refer yeah. to a politician, refer to them as a public servant. Public servant, yeah. A public slave. Um, this is the thing is that politics by its very nature is a reactionary industry. Culture is the one that leads politics. And this is why to have an effect. And if you are, look, my goal is not just to present the exit strategy on a plate to John and Adam. I believe Mm -hmm. that that will be a milestone along my journey. My ultimate, ultimate goal is to save my children's children's future from this weird ass Mad Max on the outside, Judge Dredd on the inside weird twisted future that these 
strange elites think that is possible, which they're driving towards at yeah. a rate like you wouldn't believe. Well, you would. I, I think it's really it's a death cult. It's a cult. So you can call it religion if you want, but it's definitely not based on the thing that they keep repeating over and over, which is science. <laughs> it's it's based on emotion and desire and self-preservation mm. driven by fear. You know how when you were a kid and your your parents tell you that you, you can have one candy bar, but you can't have any more. And then you manage to find a time when none of them are in the kitchen and you open up the box of chocolates and 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 you eat like four or five of them and then you put it away and hope nobody notices. Mm. And I, yeah, uh, so I've still got a similar thing going on. Yeah, always get discovered because subconsciously you feel that guilt, mm. um, and your actions, the way that you act in pretending that nothing's wrong, betrays your guilt. And your siblings are usually the first ones to pick it up, not the parents, because you're pretty good as a kid in learning how to keep your parents uh, guessing, but your siblings. <laughs> See right through you. If it's you like, okay, what, what did you do wrong? You obviously did something wrong the way you're acting. Yeah. See, I, I did, never had no siblings, so I uh, yeah, mm. just just we feel unique. And yeah. also, my parents, they sort of said, it's your own body you're screwing up, so eat as much of that crap as you want. Well, that's one way to deal with it, for sure. And and also, the, to just finish that off as well, the whole thing about, that's like when you're buying fake booze, you're trying to get in a club that you're too old for. And mm -hmm. there's a group of you, right? And you know that in the group, say you've got 12 people going to a place and three of them are questionable. They're right on the edge of the age. They're like going to turn 18 or 21 or mm -hmm. whatever soon. And you kind of spread them out through the group, right? To sort of, so that you've got confident, confident, mm -hmm. not so confident, mm -hmm. and so, so on and so forth. That That is like you've correctly predicted. It is ending. It won't be there by the end of this century if, if they have their way. Because the, the Beijing are already trialing the this this thing that pre-predicts guilty faces and mm -hmm. actions and body language and shifty sort of remotely and having them scooped up pre-crime. Thought, and you know, it's the... not that difficult to do. It's it's something that yeah, a lot of people not. have actually learned and yeah. been able to do uh, themselves. Getting computers to be able to do it with AI platform yeah. help. It's data. just a matter of time. It's the yeah, data. They is... need to gather the data. Exactly. And one of my all-time favorite movies, which is Brazil. Have you seen Brazil? Brazil is possibly my favorite movie of all time. All right. Well, we have something in common right there. I loved. I met Terry Gilliam, and I sat there with him, oh. and I, I spoke with him for about four hours. Wow. And now I'm very jealous. Oh, he got drunk. It was brilliant, and I had a camera as well, and mm -hmm. I recorded all of it. It was amazing. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Would love to see that. Oh, it's been hoovered up by the someone. The camera up. <laughs> yeah. So we, I was working at a place called the Roundhouse in Camden, uh -huh. and it's a very famous a venue in North London. Very cool place. A lot of artsy fartsy people play there, and just anyone who's sort of respected by their own peers tends to play there. And it, they they did a sort of social youth thing where there was like famous people and youths from the area were invited in to spend an evening with a whole host of very interesting and successful connected people. Mm -hmm. And I was made aware that Terry Gilliam was there when I got there, and I said, "Right, where is he?" Point me to him. <laughs> I need to have a chat about this film he made. <laughs> yeah, and I spoke. I, d I 
out of the three hour, three, four hours, I'd say 70 to 80% of the time was all about the dream sequences. Interesting. Yeah, those things really get me in that film. Yeah. Oh, it was it was it was a great film. I've been a fan ever since it came out. I saw it in the theater. Oh, you like it. I've had it. I've I've owned the copy of it for oh, forever on yeah. various formats. The soundtrack um, alone is so good. Oh, oh it's it's it it's is my very, favorite song of all time, that that song. Love that song. Which one? Which one? The main uh, Jeff Mulder, the title Brazil, his oh, the, cover of the it. Brazil. Yeah. That one, yeah. When hearts are entertained in June. Oh, that, yeah. That, that's was, a, it is great. She wouldn't and let me have like, it as the wedding song, but then the government wouldn't let me have a wedding song either. So there you go. What, what do you mean they wouldn't let you have a wedding well, song? We, we got married during the COVID stage. So you couldn't play music? They didn't want anyone dancing. What? They said that dancing was dangerous. What? <laughs> Yeah, the hell do you live, man? I told you. Oh my god, that's what they're like in London. I'm starting to think this whole tidal wave that's going to sweep over England might be a good thing. (laughs) I mean, no, we've been here a while and it ain't going away. I tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. This was the place that those pesky blooming fallen angels escaped to when they were flooded out of the the, that that first continent before the big dude came down and crushed it all and split us all up with the different faces and colors and languages and all that stuff. Wait, Atlantis? Yeah, so there was like multiple civilizations and then they all had this like joining upping in the middle where you had this mm-hmm. one guy, Nimrod, and he built the Tower of Babel. He thought, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to go and take out God and be God. That'd be nice. It's the same goal that this lot have got. That's the thing is their MO doesn't change. What do they want? Immortality. Why do they want it? So they can be God. Are and they going to get it? it? Now. now. <laughs> yeah, always now, now, uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Uh. Yeah, I'm not a fan of immortality. I think it it's overrated, first of all. Well, have you tried it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> done it. Been there, done that. The thing is, um, is that when they get to that stage, I, I will want the immortality because there's only one. It's like it's going to be Highlander, isn't it? Where there's one that's going to have to take the others out. Well, immortality works that way. It's brutal. It's a very dog eat dog situation. It, it, it requires a sacrifice. And the thing is, it it's the journey, not the destination, that is interesting. Uh, oh, totally! So yeah, 100%. achieving immortality is interesting because it's a journey. Having immortality is a dead end. It's not no, something hold on. that you Isn't actually that, want. It's a constant journey. You can't tell me it's a dead end. No, it really is. It's you would end. run out of things to see and do. The the interest level in the things you see and do approaches zero. But then doesn't your your it's innate a black drive? Pill. Immortality to... is a black pill. Yeah, but there's hold on because if you if you are someone that is of a mind and a means to be able to achieve immortality in the right. first place, that yep. puts you amongst the first of your civ- of your race to ever do so, as far as their their knowledge yeah. base goes. Well, not really, but okay, sure. Well, exactly, but in their eyes, in the seven point seven billion people out here, you're not one of the average, are you? Most people no. are going to be mortal, and you're going to be first. Surely you've yeah. had to be so along the way, find pleasure in everything. And, and isn't that the, the point about the familiarity breeds contempt? And so if you do it something does. long Absolutely. enough, yeah. but then that doesn't, that, that contempt sort of, it's a, it's a vicious cycle think, that you allows you to find new stuff. If you win the lottery right now, do you think you appreciate more the fact that other people lost the lottery 
or that there's something you can do with the money you want? I would be crazy mad for Jesus because that would be a miracle. I don't buy lottery tickets. <laughs> well, that's fine. But let's say it's a miracle. Hypothetically, if I did have yeah. it, I had a, about five months ago, I had a change in, I, I peacocked. I, I hit this plateau mm-hmm. of myself where I found this, this lovely little rhythm. It took me to quit two major vices in my life to discover mm. it. But that's when it's what you said earlier about when the fun stops, stopped. You know what? The mm-hmm. fun had stopped. I was doing the things, the repetitive actions, the counting of the numbers, the max statting on games, playing Call of Duty all the time, hanging out mm-hmm. with people that were playing Call of Duty all the time, and then bouncing back to a nice good RPG for a few hours to finish my night off. I like little mm-hmm. top down click em up. And and did yeah, saw some wonderful narratives and stuff, but I felt that my time is getting wasted more than it's been. Oh sure. Uh, it, and so I stopped that. And I stopped smoking and using marijuana, the holy herb. Right. And I thought I'd just focus on developing a television show. So that's what I've been doing. And it's mm-hmm. going very well. I've got five or six people incredibly interested. And we're close to thrashing out pitch pitches. And I know that I've got the confidence. And you know perform. why it's more fun to do the television show than to play Call of Duty? We've well, been proactive rather than reactive. No, it's because there's a chance of failure. Hmm, I don't know about that. Strong chance of failure in Call of Duty. You never die; you're immortal. Yeah, but what happens is you repeat things over and over and over. I have an issue with that sort of mindset. To be fair, just I feel that that's a very limiting mindset. I don't believe that you have one shot. I think no means not today. Like if I went up to a chick and every chick that I ever hit on who said no to me first off, and most of the girls that I ever slept with, they said no to me straight away. I'm not a someone that you warm up to initially you have to spend a bit of time to get there so then that's just a lesson for life isn't it basically you you don't you, winners are people that have been through losing and kept going and they kept going and they kept going and they only ever get remembered as winners because once you become a winner you elevate yourself above the losers that puts you up to that next level well so, yeah i mean it, it's it's sort of axiomatic yeah they can see what 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 axi- what's that well, I mean, by definition, a winner is somebody that, that manages to avoid losing. Right. Oh, of course. Yeah. But to, to do the winning, you have to go through a lot of losses. And, and people don't remember those losses. They well, only, only ever have remember to go your wins. through the, enough losses that you get to a win. It doesn't have to be a lot. Yeah, but to be consistently good at something and to get better against better opponents as you go mm-hmm. along. That takes practice and time and effort. And if you go up to that first one and that's, like you said, there's a high chance of them turning around and saying no, well, maybe that's mm-hmm. because the people that aren't doing it right aren't doing it right. Like how much did they, How much research have they done? How, how well do they know the people that they're sat in front of? Do they know where, what, what they like to eat and where they like to eat and who they like to eat with, basically? That kind of tells you a lot about someone. Because we, we, like forever, when I was first dating girls, going out for something to eat with a girl would be the easiest way of getting alone time with her because you would say let's go for lunch and mm-hmm. they'd say yes that would be nice and then you'd go for lunch together and and eating with someone's very intimate thing so it tells you a lot about someone and the more research you do the better chances there are that you're going to get that pitch sealed isn't isn't it right and as as your star starts to rise, then you don't really have to ask them to go to dinner. You just ask them for a drink, and then eventually you just ask them for a shag. Exactly. You can kind of have a relationship with someone. Yeah. 
And the thing is, is that every relationship with someone is a relationship. Oh, I wasn't going towards relationships, but never well, that is what it is, though. It is you are forming a relationship, even if it's one that's a very sort of nubile and going to be aborted or terminated in the uh, pre to it being grown into a wonderful, loving, mm-hmm. living thing. You know, you, you, it can be terminated at any time, can't it? But it's still a relationship. That's what you're growing along the way. You can't keep it at that level because the longer you spend time with each other, the more it goes that way, whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's true. It's proximity, isn't it? That's why twins have such a connection with each other because they they spend formation with their brains pulsating in an environment that they are only aware of on a on a very sort of rapidly growing level. And they come out of that place and now suddenly they're out in the world and one can go right and the other one can go left. But you've had multiple instances of people saying, I know, I know exactly what, what, when it had happened. I stopped. Everyone said, are you all right? And I went, oh, no, something terrible. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? It's the time. It's the time and the proximity, the, the two together. That's, that's why the uh, elites are so interested in having twins. I mean, how many twins has Elon got? I don't know. How many has he got? I think he's got like two or three pairs. Really? Lots I know he's twins, got right? at least nine kids, and I'm, but I think there's like nine times he's had children. I'm, mm. I've, I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement. I think the guy's cloning himself personally. But then I there think that's go. what they've been doing yeah. for ages. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, in, in, in a general sense, that's what having kids is. It's trying exactly. to clone yeah. yourself. Absolutely. It's like you, grow, you chip off a little bit of the plant and you nurture mm-hmm. it and you stick it in and you wait for the roots to grow out the tip of the thing that you brutally snipped off. Yeah, and you hope and... the clone isn't too differently corrupt from the way you were. And the thing is, if, if we've got that going on, then there's that throws into question that awful, awful thing of incest. And really, incest comes down to sort of generational incest, mm-hmm. um, which is, like, as far as I can see, that's so the So we're issue. talking about the royal family now, okay? <laughs> which one? <laughs> the one of Kent all, or the one of them? All, all of them. Of... Yeah, but, you know. They're all on. one family, if you get down to it. Yeah, of course, yeah. I see, oh, that's kind of people have, have accepted it almost haven't they they've just kind of moved well, on i mean it. you just wanted to you mentioned just earlier today that you wanted to the king again get something yeah get get your kid lined up with another no agenda listeners kid that's what yeah you you want to expand the family and gain land it's a territories ta- it's, yeah it's a tactical mm-hmm. it always has been isn't it i think we've re- get, yeah, really lost sight you, of that you maintain wealth and power but then that through that's your the ears. That's that's why the flip side of it is that you have it's the best way to exploit that and to maintain position whilst you do that is to then pump into your population and your society an overt message of, hey, you can only do this then. And here is a load of sexual stuff to make you want to do it all the time. But it's like, well, hold on. You're telling me on one hand that that's a bad thing and that it shouldn't happen even though you're up to it. And on the second hand, you're then saying, here, have a look at all this stuff. It's really nice. Well, I'd say it's kind of like stranger in a strange land. You've got you've got certain appeasements that you need to keep the populace in check through. Meanwhile, you as the elites have to be working out the the plan for complete total domination. Over and over and over again, all those thousands of years of the same plan, and it still hasn't worked. Well, they haven't refined it fully yet. They refined it once, and it got very close, and it it caused a calamitous event that really destroyed a a lot of what you would have considered to be if you put those people in today's world you'd call them souls and humans and 
and he would say that they have now the, which one are you referring to the pre-flood diluvian isn't it uh, oh sure yeah your tartaria and your your that all the the, the star forts and the the way that they arrange their cities in order to harness mm-hmm. atmospheric energy and the technology that went along with that for a long time and that was just kind of it's the stuff that you don't write down and it's like the people that win get to write history don't they and they do they do and one of the things i brought up since we're doing the sitting on the fence looking at the moon thing yeah is second half of show already before yeah, the second half show well into well, well into <laughs> the sirens is, is the you think about, well, we can go back about 8,000 years in, in the mm-hmm. uncovering the variety of artifacts yep. that we've seen about civilization. We we have some skeleton finds that are much, much older into the millions of years. But but there's a big black hole between those skeletons and the the technology, any type of buildings, anything that appears to be man-made has survived because the black cube came down like kubrick filmed right, right? exactly exactly <laughs> kicked us on and, a level uh, I, my thought on that was always well what let's say that that we have a nuclear war initiated by the united states because of ukraine tomorrow and well, they're going to uh, initiate well u.s is always the one to initiate these things but, but yeah but are ever. they are they saying that it's they're saying that we're saying that they're initiating it, but the story is that they didn't. Mm-hmm. All this, well, of so course, basically, of course. they're, they're false, response. false flagging it, us it's into the a the same nu- response war. that liberals always have. They they respond to language with actual physical violence. <laughs> that that's effectively the United States modus of operandi here. <laughs> it's not everyone and over there, though. It's well, it's the majority of the people here. It's the people that elect the, the politicians that we currently have. Yeah, but that's that's assuming that one vote matters. It doesn't matter how many votes matter because the people that didn't agree with that aren't willing to do anything about it. How, I don't believe that for an instance. I think oh, absolutely. That we just you, have you've a always on that. that. Yeah, but that's the major populace. I think within that major populace, mm-hmm. you have a sliding a level that goes from one to a, a like the the whole thing is is that one of the biggest tools that the enemy of humanity has used to divide us is this polarized thought system of a, of a red or a blue. Like once they worked out the primary colors and the red and the blue, and then there was yellow, and yellow was obviously above the red and the blue because it brought light and it's a totally different color and it's a different hue of... It's like, oh, like if you have ultraviolet or infrared, right? You've got ultraviolet, which is obviously blue, and then infrared, it's literally called infrared. But you take that and you put that across identity politics and all these different viewpoints on everything. Do you drink... I mean, they get two options, don't you? There's obviously one better option. You've got Coke or Pepsi. Everyone knows what the better one is. But why does the other one exist? Yeah, can the can. I don't know. But that whole that's a game plan to split people up, and it's divide and conquer, isn't it? And as long as you can achieve 50-50 on as on many key areas as possible, then you have enough space. It's like when you're building a, a character on Skyrim or or like an RPG or something. And you don't want to spend, you want to min-max in a way that kind of mm-hmm. starts as you go along. Like that's that's what they're doing. They're, they're pushing that in different areas. And then they're using faked elections or rigged elections to take a census on that area and see which where it leans to the messaging. Like which, which bit are they pumping out is working where? Where can they dial it up and dial it down? That's well, what it's, it, it sounds like you just called all of America a bunch of NPCs to me. No, because amongst those NPCs, you have players. And that's what I'm saying. Those players 
are very much able to like DeSantis is coming up. That pendulum's gonna swing back and you have Oh, they'll find something on him. Oh yeah, but he's no, I don't think they will. I think he's kind of a bit anointed, to be fair. I mean look where he went to school. Where'd he go to school? Yale. Oh, they'll definitely find something on him. They're, they're always gonna get something on everyone, but it's just like it's just power corrupts absolutely, and absolute power corrupts, doesn't it? Generally, yeah, because it 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 should. It's the way that we're built. We're built with self-preservation in mind. But there's a there's another level to it where you have self-preservation and that stacks on top of elevation. And when you have sense of above and a below, it gives you perspective on who, who you are now seeing. Now that you've been raised above, you can see all the heads that are above you, but everyone below you in your area can see you at the same time and so on and so forth. That is kind of what the Tower of Babel even sort of is. It's, that's why the, the, it's often spoken about that the end times are like the same ones as the days of Noah. I hate to go like Bible bashy, but that's just my worldview where I'm at. Like I see that. I recognize sure. that. I think that, that you could imprint that upon multiple civilizations. And then to answer your question of the skeletons and how old they are, I would say that consciousness is very much attributed to the experience of time. That they're, they're kind of they're, they're tied to each other. So for instance, a fly will experience life just as long as a human will, but their sense of time is completely different. And we, like a tree, it's a totally, totally different sense of growing and going from one thing to another and consciousness. And it don't mean that anything that's alive and experiencing that don't got feelings now, does it? They, they could hurt. You can hurt a dog and a, a worm and a bee and all that sort of stuff. That's what makes people NPCs, isn't it? They, can they you hurt of, an AI? Yeah, totally. Yeah. You can hurt its feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you can be rude to something and there's a way of approaching every situation that is an amenable way. That's the yeah. art of, of discourse, isn't it, really? It's, it's keeping it going and getting talking to each other for a while. Well, I think the art of discourse is getting the other person to say your message while thinking it's their original idea. Inception, you mean? But what's Inception. You know the movie Inception, where they go inside someone's dreams to affect the dreams to affect, and then but it brings an outworld impact because they end up going and making a different decision. So I don't know if I, I if I should admit this or not. I've never actually seen the movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, man. Especially it's, if you uh, drop some shrooms or right? something, or like I'd smoke smoke a big joint beforehand. That's what I used to do. So I burn a mm. burn a big joint. And if it ever dipped in the middle, I'd be like, I'm going to get some a drink. I'd run outside quickly, just have a little naughty shorty. Hmm. Go back in. You, there's so how good of a movie there. is it if you if it requires that you get your mind into an alternative state? It does it doesn't require it. It just it just for me, how I experienced it, I I very much enjoyed it because I saw multiple things. I mean, I hadn't smoked for a few weeks and I thought I'll save it up and I'll I'll go in there like really baked and see how I feel about it. And it just it was just brilliant. I really loved it. And I like enjoying other people's products whilst in a state that's much more suggestive. Like I'm already buying into the fact that I'm looking at a black mirror and a mm -hmm. screen and it's it's basically magic and it's spells and it's all this stuff hitting you like at a million miles faster than has ever been available. So we think. But it's different. I feel like you have to be in the river and along the flow in order to make a difference. Like I said, you can't just be a stick in the mud. Sure. Not sure how that ties back with, we're talking about what's happening with the midterm elections being on 
confirmation essentially of the United States not wanting to make any changes in its in the way that, that the US population is perceiving the world, I, I guess I would say. Yeah, well this is just like they they have an option to not do something and so they're not doing it. It's like inaction is a form of is a choice, isn't it? It's, it is, yes, absolutely. And that's what they've chosen to do by doing that. But yeah. I also think that the messaging and the timing and everything about it is very they've they're very powerful right now. They've they've saved up a, a big old right. sacrifice well, and again, just continue my thoughts. So let's say we have a nuclear Armageddon tomorrow. All right, yeah, yeah. And with the number of nuclear missiles out there, number of warhead, literally everybody dies. Obliteration, nobody, isn't it? They, nobody left alive. So just the target. You look at the current architecture, the current information storage we have, all of our current technology. Mm-hmm. You can see how some of this will survive the nuclear catastrophe for immediately, right? But how does this look 100 years later or 1,000 years later or 10,000 years or 100,000 years later? Clearly, none of our preserved human history that is recorded in the Library of Congress or wherever else on computers or in paper books, none of that survives. That's all gone. Mm-hmm. The the pyramids were made of very large stones, and granted that li- while limestone is not the most solid of stones, their their sheer size meant that a the outer layer could decay off and and uh, wash off with weather with the the rain and things, and still there would be enough of the original stones surviving. What? Is the current civilization, the point that we're in, going to leave behind if all the humans died tomorrow? Nothing. And what will be found... There'd be no one left, would there? Well, there wouldn't be no one left, but what would be found by the next time that there's intelligent life on the planet Earth? But it wouldn't be there. It would be just total dust and it'd be gone by, eaten up by millions because there's no consciousness there, so... It just it's sort of like fast forwarding on a VHS, like when it's almost like a tree in the forest that falls. Does anybody hear it or see it? If there's nobody there, no. But does that affect the fact that it's fallen in the forest and all that? The consciousness itself is tied to the the act of time, like passing. So you could have millions and billions of years in a short space of time. Okay, but regardless of that, the the question is, what would that future civilization find left of us? And my point is nothing. Yeah, nothing. Of course not. No. And so how do we know that there haven't been dozens or hundreds or even thousands of previous civilizations on this very planet that oh, we yeah. just don't have any evidence Record. Yeah. of finding? Yeah, they're gone. We could be attempt number 2,854. But that's, there's a Netflix show about this that's just come out, isn't there? Like they've done their own sort of... I don't watch the pedophile channel. Yeah, but yeah, but it's it's out there. It's just come out. It's a sort of mm-hmm. a, a sort of a, what is it? A History Channel thing, an ancient aliens thing okay. about these civilizations, and everyone's talking about it. Like, oh, on the, on the one hand, yeah, they'll ban aliens, Rogan. <laughs> yeah, ancient aliens. I, I don't know if they're still going, but I mean, they've been going. They started twenty years ago. People love it. It's, it's the same people yeah. that watch yeah. Infowars, watch Ancient Aliens. You think? I think it's very close. Do you mm. not think there'll be a, a, a big proportion? It'd be like the, the Venn diagram. Quite would, a few liberals that really like the, uh, the ancient alien stuff. 
Yeah, but I think a lot of people are just afraid to because they sense a majority, and so they they don't actually come out with their. Tr- if you talk to someone long enough, you always get a sense down in that this whole liberal. It's just another polarization thing. It's like everyone is everything at all times, and you can dial up the interest in one thing whilst damp- dampening down the interest in another. I mean, that's why media and politics works hand in hand, so that they can brainwash certain areas into voting a certain way. Okay, but what does that have to do with ancient aliens? Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's just like the the information that they've been pumped into your brain that kind of comes out in a conversation that sort of forms the opinion of other people that speak to you. That that is that comes in through ancient aliens, and it's the same thing as politics, and it's just all being a liberal. Like if you're a liberal, there's because there's another side to a liberal. There's the other side, right? You've got the two sides of the fence. Okay, I'm losing you. What what other side to a liberal are you referring to? Well, you've the, uh, liberal. Being a liberal means that you're, if you were a, a fascist, I suppose you'd be the complete opposite to a liberal, wouldn't you? It's close yeah, enough, isn't it? Telling other people what to do. I mean, a liberal in my mind is essentially somebody that has. I I I, I understand that there there's certainly a difference in terms between. UK liberals, American liberals, and Australian liberals. Like each of those terms means a different thing. So I, I, I can certainly speak for the US one, I think, much easier because I, I live with these folks all the time. Yeah. But a, a US definition of a liberal is essentially somebody that believes in uh, communal decision-making, somebody that, that wants everything to be decided by a committee rather than an individual. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's somebody that likes to give away individual rights in exchange for communal rights. Yeah, like um, communism. Yeah, well, not quite. I mean, communism, I think, is an extension of liberalism, but it goes much deeper. It's just a sort of the Venn diagram intersects. I don't like on... calling liberals communists or even socialists because those two terms have a specific meaning. They're just loaded. like I don't like hearing conservatives be called Nazis. It's like, that's not a Nazi. <laughs> No. That's a different. The Nazi has socialist already. What a national socialist was. Yeah, that what it Nazi was. Uh, yeah, Nazi was the uh, abbreviation of the National Socialist Party yep. in Germany. But, but there's a, certainly a, a a generic description of what a Nazi is that's evolved since that time. Like you said, the winners mm. get to write history, and I think yeah. the winners got to decide what Nazi means. But the term is just thrown around very loosely right now, just for. Yeah. Anybody that somebody who is on the left side dislikes, who is to the right of them, not even necessarily conservative, but just somebody to the right of them, uh, quite often is labeled as a Nazi. Straight um, up Nazi. People like uh, Tim Poole, who was voting Democrat up until four years ago, are called Nazis on a routine basis. Do you reckon that's because he wears the beanie? Well, he's wore the beanie a lot longer while he was voting Democrat than he has as a Republican. And he's not a Republican. He repeats that on a regular basis, too. It's like, look, I voted for Trump because he was an outsider to every party. There's nothing that says he's going to vote Republican in the future. Mm. But yet he's considered a Nazi by a lot of people. I think it's the optics. The, it's the beanie. Three, four it's, years ago, we're supporting him. It's, it's got to be the beanie. That beanie will make anyone think that you're a Nazi after a while. I don't believe that Nazis wore beanies, unless you have some imagery I'm not aware of. I think the ones in Norway did when they were out in the cold. Norway was neutral. Well, yeah, but when they had to guard the, because it was still there were still ones that there was action out in Norway. 
Well, there was, yes, the England attacked Norway. Yeah. Illegally. Well, I mean, they, they went outside of their jurisdiction to. Well, there do was some a neutral stuff, country. But... Yes, I know, but yeah. they did. They they still did it, though, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I mean. The, I think World War II predominantly started by uh, England. If you really look at the history of it, if you yeah, people in England, I take to say it was attributed to a, la- a large well, Winston land Churchill. Mass. If we want to get specific, well, I mean, yeah, that guy was such an evil <laughs> drunkard, wasn't he? Just a terrible but human being. There are people who are not evil who are drunkards as well. But in terms of of politics and specifically getting getting both England initially and a greater part of the Western world into war that he was absolutely responsible for. Yeah, he egged it on. He did what the yeah. current lot are doing with this stupid stuff in Ukraine. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's just a, a man who, who fails to study history is doomed to repeat it. But, you know, that saying that I think somewhat ignores the fact that there are people that study history and want to repeat it. Oh, good point. Yeah, it does, isn't it? Of course it does. Mm-hmm. Not as many of them, though, as the others, is there? Well, they're usually the ones driving in Rolls Royces. Yeah, or, yeah, other stuff. There's loads of ways. Or whatever vehicle money. of choice Yachts. you can afford to. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I I think that there's a... There's, there's certainly a lot of truth to the what is considered conspiracy theories out there. But... That's not to say that every conspiracy theory is true. Oh, definitely not. And there are plenty of them and plenty on both sides of the aisle that are just, they're, they're uh, absurd, but beyond absurd, they are much like you described playing Call of Duty. They're just time wasters. Well, yeah, but I think Call of Duty is feeding a machine of a data harvesting that is really working out the nitty-gritty of the little robo-dog warfare that's coming. Yeah, it glamorizes warfare for sure. They're training it, up that AI with that though, right? It, it got to be. I don't know, man. I think they're, they've been training male children with it for a very long time. Yeah. And that's generally who's sent off to fight. It, yeah, and there's a lot of them, isn't there? It's desensitization, desensitizing, combined with positive reinforcement techniques. Totally. The little plus 50s, plus 100s, and get, the, get your uh, and all that. Yeah, well, you got to make sure you get your unique challenge taken care of. Get that, get that extra sticker. See, I never did any of that. I just ran around with the, the first guy. Oh. Yeah. I just felt it more interesting to win. Not a to... completionist, were you? Oh no, I couldn't see like the whole prestige thing. I thought, wow, mm-hmm. best of luck. <laughs> That's not for me. Oh, killing a guy with his own gun—you got to get all those. Oh, you can do that, but that, you do that for the fun of stuff anyway, just because they've annoyed uh-huh. you. Yeah, I mean, it's a little virtual space, and the thing is, is the the, the physical spaces are being closed. In yeah. you, like young people can't actually hang out on streets legally because of a lot of overreaching jurisdiction laws about asbos and noise. And to be fair, young people That's are horrible. loud and. And they do make noise and, and, and you live on an island. Well, I live on an island full of like curtain twitches who will be like, oh, who's that out there? Oh, don't like them outside my house. Oh, no. Better call the police. Well, do you think that's partly because you don't have much land? Yeah, of course. A man is his castle, isn't it? Oh, no. I mean, a, if, a man's if, home if is his that, castle. If those kids are two kilometers away from your curtains, would you even care? I don't mean you, but I mean a person. Yeah. 
I think. So that depends how much you loved your kids, wouldn't it? Yeah. I think yeah. if you live in a in a genuine castle with castle walls, you really don't care what the serfs and peasants are doing. I think no. it's the it, it's the proximity factor, and this is where yes. you can see a difference in voting patterns between people that live in mm-hmm. high proximity areas like cities, dense versus density. the country. Yeah, yeah, the density and and that's the issue. Well, that, it's that's not population. The density it's of the proximity density. to other humans. Exactly. I always say when yeah. people say oh, we're overpopulated, I go, no, 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 we're over densified. Huh? Mm-hmm. We're just we're all packed in together. If we spread out a little more, we'd all be fine. And people do it voluntarily. That's they, the crazy yeah, part. Yeah, and they do it long term anyway. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. how it goes. I, but, mean, I think right now some people are realizing that it's better to move further away and have fewer neighbors <laughs> and have a larger property that is yours than to pay the exact same amount of money and live in downtown San Francisco. Yeah. Or New York, or London, or you pick a city. Yeah. yeah, it's just a yeah city. And and this idea that well, but the cities are so much better. You have everything available at <laughs> whim. You can go to a play. You can go to a musical performance. You could do all these things that you can't do in the country. Well, you you can, but should you is the real question. I don't know. I think it's not for everyone, is it? But the way that they're going, they're trying to fill these cities as fast as they can, whilst keeping it nice and thin on the outside. Yeah, but I think also people in the cities, they have to go to see a play and 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 watch musical performances and go to many different restaurants because that literally is all there is. They're devoid of the experiences that humanity has had for millions of years, which include nature. Yeah. And you're not having to be in nature and deal with nature you get bored and to prevent that boredom from coming on we as humans invent entertainment exactly we come up with it yeah with that whole concept and this is why again i come back to this idea of like why the hell actors are considered important by any stretch of the imagination is insane the these are entertainers much like sports is entertainment yeah much much like anything that takes a natural, natural human emotional drive and then replicates it through a human created form. People get excited and I, I can probably generalize men, but it doesn't have to be men when watching a football game, for example. Yeah. And it doesn't even matter if it's American football or European football. And it's just the excitement com- is there. Yeah. Right. I think they're a little less exciting watching golf, but, <laughs> but certainly <laughs> yeah. some. Tennis, you get um, a neck ache. Tennis could be interesting. <laughs> I, my Especially personal in the middle. sport of choice, well, I like a number of them, but they're generally winter sports. But I like curling. I like biathlon. But uh, either way, the what, what, reason that sports mm. exist, the reason that we're willing to do nothing and just watch other people doing something competitive doing something is better. because- because we're removed from having to do things that challenge ourselves uh, by not yeah. living in nature. Yes, definitely. A man whose survival depends on his ability to get things done during the day in order to survive in the country does not have time, like people who live in cities have time, to be entertained. But then someone that lives in a city doesn't have the time that someone in the country's got to spend with their day everything's more high pressure and a, such a 
you've got to pay your rent, you've got to pay this, you've got your economic structure. But I, that's, yeah, I mean, it, that's what I'm saying. It's a trade-off. So when, when we don't have nature-induced stress, we create human-induced stress. Yes. But uh, manifest it, you mean, out of nothing. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, manifest, create, same thing. It's a, we're, we're not willing to live lives without stress. We're going to have stress, whether it's man-made like or nature-made. Sto- Stockholm syndrome stress. Yeah, and, and it's a Stockholm syndrome being essentially a desire for something that is a negative aspect with that is outside of your means and being drawn toward it, much like the a kidnapping victim who ends up being sympathetic to the kidnappers while being a captive. Yeah, that's where, that's where that comes from. But it's, that's kind of what we've got with the stress re- reaction. And I think if you can... If that's you, because we're built for it. Yeah, but if you we're, if you can live without it, it's much, isn't it? You live longer. But that's don't you? the thing. I think I don't think humans are capable of living without stress. I think this is whether you want to look at it as intelligent design or you want to look at it as evolution. For however long people have been people, they've had to deal with the stress of nature. It's only within the last several hundred years that we've been able to remove a lot of those stresses. Yeah, we're getting better at it. We're not designed to live without stress. Our systems require stress in order to actually function. And so we create stress. Yes, people do create their own drama, don't they? They love it. Well, it's not just drama. Why do people start working out when they live in the city? Because they don't get enough exercise that you would if you were living in the country. And if you don't get enough of that exercise your body starts to deteriorate because it's not designed to live without that physical stress. And in the same way, it's not designed to live without other types of stress. Yeah, emotional or economic, whatever. Stress is input into our computers. And if you don't have any input, then you're not going to have any output. And this is why immortality sucks. I appreciate (laughs) you being on today's podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully you did as yeah, me, well. Me too. Yeah, it was great. Any Anything else to call out? Any other podcasts or other things? You mentioned you were maybe doing some music that you want to... Yeah, I do GWF, just GWFF at Nigeria Social. And I hang out on Jitsi most nights, just writing and chatting and building stuff on the internet. The beautiful digital kingdom that we've got going here, making sure it keeps happening and to to be participating in it seems to be makes the most sense to me at this stage i mean having had a look at the other lot the mainstream media it seems a no-brainer not to do podcasts like this so yeah it's lovely lovely to have a chat i'll always do it very good and with that we will catch you next week and as always thanks for joining me please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial legal or medical advice 